President and Fellows audio podcast. This is Shobhana Rajan, staff anesthesiologist at the Cleveland Clinic. I hope you all enjoyed listening to our previous podcast on neuromonitoring for spine surgery. This will be the second part and we will be focusing on neuromonitoring for intracranial surgery. Today, we are again fortunate to have Dr. Anton Cote, who is a pioneer in neuromonitoring, who will give us some pearls on this intriguing topic. Dr. Cote is Professor in Anesthesiology, Neurological Surgery and Neurology, Chief of Neurosurgical Anesthesia and Director of the Neurosurgical Anesthesia Program at Northwestern University in Chicago, Illinois. On behalf of the Education Committee of the SNAC, we extend a very warm welcome to him. Welcome, Dr. Cote. Thanks, Shobna. It's a privilege to be with you. Thank you. Our first question to you today is, what intracranial procedures may benefit from neuromonitoring and why? Uh, Multiple intracranial procedures may benefit from monitoring, such as neurovascular procedures, CB angle tumors, tumors near the eloquent area, and surgery for arnold malformation. Monitoring may alert the surgeons for possible ischemia due to variety of causes such as vessel intentional or accidental occlusion, retractor pressure, drop in blood pressure, or the proximity and endangerment of the cranial nerves. Thank you. What monitors are commonly used for these procedures? Would it be SSEPs and MEPs like spine surgery or additional auditory evoked potentials, EEG, etc.? Well, it depends on the procedure. For neurovascular procedures, the combination of motor evoked potential, sensory evoked potential, and EEG are used. Procedures at the CB ankle tubers, posterior fossa, and for microvascular decompressions, ABR, cranial nerves, and sometimes both or either of motor evoctential and sensory evoctential are used. Sure. With respect to intracranial aneurysms and AV malformations, what monitoring techniques would be applicable and what anesthetic choices should we make? Yes. During aneurysm and AV M surgeries, SSCPs and EEG are more used than MEP. However, MEP is gaining traction since it is more sensitive to ischemia, can show changes 15 to 20 minutes ahead of SSCPs, and can monitor areas of the brain which is covered only by motor attacks. Anesthetic choices should follow the most restrictive of the monitoring modalities used. In these cases, motor potential is more restrictive since it is affected more than SSCP and EEG by anesthetic agents, especially inhalation agents, and is affected by muscle relaxant, which does not affect either SSCP or EEG. Therefore, Anesthesia consideration should be directed toward MEP. So how does application of a temporary clip during aneurysm surgery affect monitoring? Yes, temporary clips 
are used during aneurysm surgery to facilitate, facilitate clipping of the aneurysm or to control bleeding if aneurysm is ruptured. Such a clip will stop flow to the downstream of the blood vessel and leads to ischemia in that area. This ischemia area may be monitored by MEP and SSCP, which may show decrease or loss of the signals in corresponding area. For example, a temporary clip of the right MCA may show changes in the left hand. Sure. How does trapping with an internal carotid balloon affect monitoring? That's a good question. First, let's talk about trapping. Trapping is the use of one or more temporary clips around the aneurysm. If the trapping is for arteries such as MCA, then the effects are similar to a single temporary clip by affecting the contralateral hand. On the other hand, if a trapping is used for ACOM aneurysm, temporary clips will be placed before and after the communicating artery on both right and left anterior cerebral arteries. Therefore, changes in motor and sensory potential may be seen in both feet. Similarly, trapping the basal artery aneurysm may result in changes in MEP, SEP in all four extremities. Now, back to your original question. Trapping utilizing the carotid balloon. In this case, there is a little bit difference. The catch, there is a catheter inserted from the femoral artery that has a balloon, and the balloon will be placed in the internal carotid artery before the start of surgery. When the surgeon approaches the aneurysm for clipping, the balloon is then inflated, and temporary clips are placed on the middle cerebral artery, anterior cerebral artery, and become of that side before attempting to clip the aneurysm. In this case, the ischemia, area, the ischemic area may involve the whole hemisphere on that side, and the changes in evoked potential will include all the hemisphere on the other side. Thank you for that excellent explanation. RCA1 resident Kevin Pepsney at the Cleveland Clinic would like to know how we should handle neurophysiologic changes during aneurysm clipping. Oh, thanks, Kevin. This is a very good question. It depends on the cause and the time. The causes of neurophysiological changes are one of five causes. Technical, physiological, pharmacological, positional, and surgical. Physiological and pharmacological changes tend to be global, affecting bilateral upper and lower extremities, and usually preceded by adjustment in the anesthesia or changes in blood pressure. Positional changes tend to be localized, occur early during positioning. However, it may occur at later time due to positioning changes of the extremities. Technical changes, too, are localized nature and can occur at any time. 
troubleshoot technical changes, especially if signals were stable for a long time, should not, and I would stress, should not take long time, especially if changes occurred at critical surgical stage. Now, surgical changes are localized and follow anatomical structure. They should be corresponding to the location of the aneurysm and to the surgical step that was performed in the last 15 minutes. If the cause is determined to be surgical, the following steps may help. First, we raise blood pressure 20%. This should be done as early as possible. Actually, blood pressure may be raised when changes occur and kept elevated till the diagnosis is made for the cause of the change. If the change is deemed to be surgical or physiological, then elevated blood pressure will be maintained till the situation is resolved. If changes occur, after placing the turmeric clip, that clip can be removed to re-establish circulation if there is no bleeding. If the changes occur while the aneurysm is bleeding or the aneurysm is open during clip reconstruction, then the surgeon should proceed as fast and safe as possible to control the situation, while the anesthesiologist keeps the blood pressure up, lower metabolism consumption, and maintain good tissue circulation. I suppose uh, we have to use birth suppression at this point. That's correct, preferably before it happened. Sure. We have another question from our neuroanesthesia fellow, Mitra Kani, at the Cleveland Clinic. And she would like to ask you, what kinds of neuromonitoring are usually employed in posterior fossa surgeries, and how are anesthetics affect this type of monitoring? Thanks, Metrakani, for this very important question. Cranial nerves passing from the brain stem to different parts of the cranium put them in a close proximity to the surgical field which exposed them to mechanical and thermal injuries during resection. Monitoring cranial nerves may help to minimize such danger. If only ABR is monitored, then almost there is no restriction of anesthesia. If other motor cranial nerves are monitored, anesthesiologists should limit muscle relaxants but can use higher doses of inhalation and other intravenous anesthetic since the ABR, auditory brainstem response, and the cranial nerves are almost not affected by these agents. The addition of motor evoke potential or sensory evoke potential to the ABR and the cranial nerves during posterior fossa surgery will add extra strain on the anesthetics by the need to limit inhalation agents to less than half MAC. So while we monitor the auditory evoke potentials, how do we know which part of the auditory pathway is affected? Good question. ABR measured usually in the first 15, 10 to 15 milliseconds, and in this period, seven waves are identified. The first wave 
is generated in the auditory canal while the rest are generated on the track all the way to the brainstem. In general, if the ABR changes include the first wave, then the cause is in the canal itself or in the delivery system. While it changes only in wave 5, points to possible insult to the brainstem as a cause of the changes. Thank you. Regarding visual evoked potential monitoring, we've practically never seen it. When is it usually used? Well, visual evoked potentials may be helpful during surgery for tumors around the optic chiasm, ophthalmic aneurysms, and tumors close to the visual cortex. Unfortunately, visual evoked potentials are very sensitive to anesthetic agents. Therefore, it was not utilized much. However, newer agents and techniques, in addition to newer stimulating probes, may help better obtaining such signals. When you say newer agents, did you mean agents like xenon? No, it's like the, our inhalation agent from SIBO, desflurane, and ISO. Initial study originally was done with halothane. Okay. What about brain tumors? Does neuromonitoring help with minimizing functional impairment while maximizing tumor resection? Yes, during surgical resection of brain tumors near the eloquent area, awake craniotomies are used to maximize resection while minimizing changes. Using MEP-SSCP during the resection of such tumors which do not need speech monitoring may enhance resection and minimize deficit the same as awake craniotomy. Groups of neurosurgeons around the world believe that MEP-SSCP monitoring can be used for this purpose without the need for awake craniotomies. Yeah, awake craniotomies could be stressful for patients as well as mm -hmm. anesthesiologists. Yes. What are the surgeries requiring monitoring of cranial nerves, and how is it different from monitoring the motor evoked potentials? Yes, surgeries in the posterior fossa and skull base with the proximity of cranial nerves may benefit from cranial nerve monitoring. Both EMG and MEP have motor component. The EMG is affected only by muscle relaxant, while motor potential is affected in addition to muscle relaxant by other anesthetic agents, especially inhalation agents. And that is good to know. Can you tell us something about neuromonitoring during microvascular decompression of the trigeminal nerve and hemifacial spasm? Yes, monitoring during MVD for both cases, uh, it will help. If there is dangers to the cranial nerve, 7 and 8 is a prominent. So monitoring EMG in the facial muscles innervated by the facial nerve may help minimize facial paralysis. While monitoring the 8th cranial nerve, may serve to protect hearing loss. Special concern should be for MVD for hemifacial spasm. 
because in these cases, obtaining the abnormal lateral spread response, which will disappear with successful surgery, is important. Having non-deborizing muscle relaxant may prevent establishing the baseline for the lateral spread response, and therefore they cannot predict if the surgery is successful till the patient is awake. Thank you. We have heard that for epilepsy surgery, echocorticography is done. How do we tailor our anesthetic choices to allow for this monitoring? Yes, the ECOG, as they call it, is used during epilepsy surgery to identify seizure forking. Anesthetic agents that suppress such activities should be limited or eliminated. Narcotics in a clinically used doses do not affect such signals and can be used at high doses, while propofol can suppress the signals and should be eliminated or limited to very low levels of infusion. Inhalation agents at higher concentration will interfere with monitoring and should be limited to less than half back. In general, ramifentanil 0.2 microgram per kilogram per minute and half back inhalation agents can provide anesthesia without interfering with the ECOG. How do we troubleshoot abnormal signals during neuromonitoring? Does carbon dioxide tension affect signals? Yes, first we have to confirm that changes are reproducible. Second, we have to identify the causes as global and the characteristic are the global, regional, cortical, subcortical, one modality or more than one modality. Should we know where there are any changes in the anesthesia or injection of muscle relaxants in the last 15 minutes? We should know if there are any recent major changes in physiological parameters such as blood pressure, temperature, blood loss, or severe hyperventilation. Also, we should know what surgical maneuvers, if any, was performed recently. Regarding your original question about CO2, very low levels of CO2 may be associated with ischemia and can affect the signals. Sure. Our next question is, is there any difference between inhalational agents, CVO versus ISO versus desflurane, with respect to neuromonitoring? Is one better than the other? In general, they have the same effects on neurophysiological monitoring in those dependent on SSEP and more on MEP. However, desflurane has the advantage of fast recovery. All of them should be limited to less than half MAC if we are doing motor evoke potentials. Sure. Dr. Code, is there a role for neuromonitoring in the neurointerventional suite? Monitoring in the interventional suite can help during the performance of WADA test, localization of the speech center, occlusion test, and cerebral embolization. Okay. Now, with the advent of functional MRI scans and intraoperative MRI, what would be the role of neuromonitoring in the future? Right. Functional MRI and intraoperative MRI 
may be adjunct to monitoring rather than replacement. Each of these methods add to the total knowledge to serve the patient better. In the future, a limiting factor to these technologies will be the cost. As medical providers, we need to work on methods to decrease the cost of monitoring, enhance our ability for interpretations and managements in a timely manner. The current monitoring methodology with the exponential increase in cost is not sustainable. Yeah. As anesthesiologists, we should take an active role. We are able to be part of this cost-cutting atmosphere to keep providing monitoring at lower cost. Knowledgeable anesthesiologists and surgeons, in addition to a hospital-based neurophysiologists and technologists, are able to provide excellent monitoring at lower cost, and we should aim for that goal. Sure. Thank you, Dr. Court, for the excellent information you provided and shedding light on a topic which is relatively new for many of us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me to be part of this snack podcast. Thank you.